I am Pastor Corrine Boroff, Senior Pastor at Anderson First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to our worship service today. If you want to learn more about this church, visit our website at andersonfirst.org. Have a blessed day and enjoy the message. Good morning. Our lesson today is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Work six days and do everything you need to do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to God, your God. Don't do any work, not you, not your son, nor your daughter, nor your servant, nor your maid, nor your animals, not even the foreign guest visiting in your town. For in six days God made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath day. He set it apart as a holy day. This is the word of God for the people of God. It's great to be back from vacation. It's good to be in worship with you again. I worshiped well the last two Sundays I w- uh, in which I was gone, but um, uh, there's nothing like worship out here at Davis Park with you all, and I'm glad to be back. Time is a crazy thing. Unlike, mo- unlike most things in life, it is something that everyone, babies and great-grandparents, the wealthy, the poor, the African and the European, the oppressed and the powerful. Time is something that everyone has equally. We cannot borrow it. We cannot buy it. We cannot stretch it out or shrink it to make it fit our personal desires. Time cannot be manipulated. It is what it is to quote that familiar line. Since the beginning, time hasn't changed in its essence, and not until human beings developed a measuring system for time, people and animals simply existed, drawn to the regular activity of the coming of day and night, the changing of the seasons, and the natural appetites of the body. There is no question Measuring time by seconds and minutes, hours and days, weeks and months and years, decades, century and millennia, measuring time has its benefits. 
We are able to order life and to keep track of what we have done and what we have learned so that tomorrow will be better. But it has led us inevitably, it seems to me, to that common complaint. I don't have enough time, which I've uttered on more than one occasion, to be sure. Whose fault that is, I'll leave for someone else to decide. But now here's the thing that's been disturbing my sleep over the past two weeks of my vacation. Since time, like life, is not our own, since time is a gift of God, isn't saying, I don't have enough time, rather like looking a gift horse in the mouth, checking its teeth to see if it is truly a worthy gift? I have come by my personal fight with time honestly. It was crystal clear in my family when growing up that keeping busy was of utmost importance. My parents were always busy. Wasting time doing nothing was totally frowned upon. There was always dusting to be done or the weeds to be pulled or papers to grade or meetings to attend. Don't have anything to do, my mom would ask. What about working ahead on that school project? There was a certain pride in being able to answer the question, how are you, with the response, I'm keeping busy. Something was not quite right if our list of things to do did not exceed the time we had. I exaggerate, but not by much. Even our leisure time could be characterized as busy. I remember often driving home from vacation, in which, by the way, we packed in as many stops in natural, national parks and historic sites as possible. We would arrive home at 10 p.m. that last night of vacation and get up early the next morning to go back to school. I suppose our family came by this honestly, too, for our country was built on the hard work and industry of those Puritan ancestors for whom the wealth they accumulated by their efforts was understood to be evidence of God's favor upon them. So ingrained in our American psyche is this culture of industriousness that we've even given it a name, the Puritan work ethic. So ingrained is it in our culture that we criticize any perceived sign of laziness in others and we build systems that favor the most productive among us. Sadly, we've even pressed this upon our children whose personal activity calendars rival that of any world leader. Wayne Muller writes, our culture invariably supposes that action and accomplishment are better than rest, that doing anything, something, anything, is better than doing nothing. Well, of course, this is not to say that busyness is a bad thing and should be avoided. On the contrary, work is a good thing. Like time, our minds and bodies are also gifts of God. And God created us from the beginning to be people who produce good things by the effort of our labors. 
Over the centuries, all that has been imagined and designed and produced has greatly enhanced our lives. Think of the light bulb, the combustion engine, the computer. All of this was created by hard work. In the garden, God gave those first people work to do. Genesis 2.15 reads, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work the ground and to keep it in order. And the Apostle Paul warns the Thessalonians against idleness while they wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat, he says. Human beings were made for work. In order to survive, we must work. In order to find, to find fulfillment and joy, we work. And so, keeping busy is a good thing. It is an important thing. But it is not the only thing. It is not the primary thing. The third commandment that God gave to the Hebrew people out there in the wilderness of Mount Horeb was to observe the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Work six days and do everything you need to do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to God. Sabbath literally means to stop, to cease what you are doing. And the commandment continues, don't do any work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servant, nor your maid, nor your animals, nor even the foreign guest visiting in your town. And so with that in mind, the Hebrew people went to extraordinary lengths in defining what did and what did not constitute work. What was to be a gift of rest, a pause to reflect on God and God's good gifts, a time to nurture intimacy with God, a time to be set free of hard labor and anxious worry, became in itself a legalism that Jesus challenged centuries later when he said the Sabbath was made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. Sabbath is not just laws and liturgy. It's a sacred way of life, a piece of time that opens space for God. Sabbath is a gift of time. Abundant time, a day of rest from the busyness of life. There are three observations that I want to lift out of these few short verses this morning. The first is that we are to practice, practice Sabbath and keep it holy. Why do you come to worship on Sunday? What priority does this time have in your life? This commandment challenges us to seriously consider these questions, if the word of God means anything to us at all. In Jewish tradition, it is understood that all time, every moment of time belongs to God. Every hour is unique and is only given as a precious gift in the moment that it is given. The goal of Sabbath, then, is not to rescue us from time, but rather to redeem the time we have as gods, to sanctify 
to set apart the time we have for God. God entrusted the Hebrew people with the Sabbath, this set-apart day when all work stopped, so that the world might know and God's people might remember that we were created for no higher purpose than to worship God. As Christians, we believe that through the resurrection of Jesus, traditional Sabbath understanding has changed. Not changed so much as it is completed. We now worship on the day of resurrection to let the world know that God's promise to Israel has gone out to all the world and has been fulfilled in Jesus. Our Sunday worship announces to the world that God has not left us alone and that we have a good work to do. Our liturgical work, our worship, shows the world a manner of life that cannot be known except through Jesus. Sunday is that day set apart from the rest of the week to remind us that we are a holy people. We're not better than anyone else, but as we bend our lives toward God, following Jesus, as we live with joy, others are attracted because they see how we love one another. Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon, in their little book, The Truth About God, conclude, we do not go to church to be renewed for the demands of a busy week. We go to church as service to God. By ordering our lives on Sunday so that worship is primary, we witness to the world that this is God's good time. But keeping Sabbath holy is not only about what we do and why we do it in this one hour on Sunday. It's not only about the priority we place on this hour in our lives. It's also about the freedom we are given to enjoy a time of rest. One day out of seven, we are set free to rest. Just a week ago, on Monday, as usual, I received my Time magazine in the mailbox. I also received that day a package of something I'd ordered from Amazon. And that was good on both counts. I was waiting for each of them. It wasn't until later, however, that I realized the irony. Inside the current issue of Time is an editorial entitled, When Humans Become Robots. Here's how the editorial begins. A group of workers with fists raised in solidarity hold a scrawled sign, We are humans, not robots. And they and others at an Amazon warehouse in Minnesota protested in March and on July's Amazon Prime Days. Anyone buy anything on Amazon Prime Day? They were speaking against the day-to-day -day dehumanizing reality of their workplace. The editorial goes on to describe how scanning technology that is used by these lowest paid warehouse workers 
not only keeps inventory and helps in the process of finding and sorting and shipping that product that was so efficiently delivered to my doorstep, but also at times, it, but also it times workers through the warehouse. It times their steps through the warehouse and records time off task, which in the Minnesota warehouse is only 18 minutes per shift not counting a 30-minute unpaid lunch. Time off task behavior includes bathroom breaks, getting a drink of water, or just slowing down, walking slower than the algorithm dictates that they should walk. And that 18 minutes time off task is scheduled for an 11-hour shift. Life all around the world no matter whether we're talking about traditional culture or, or wealthy, modern, highly efficient cultures, life around the world is exceedingly different than it was in the days of ancient, ancient Israel. But even now, as it was then, keeping Sabbath has economic implications. It is for the rich who are often oppressed and harassed in their riches and their accumulation. It's for the poor who do not eat if they do not work. Even the animals are given a day off to rest. In our world, only the rich get vacations. The poor have to work two or three jobs just to make ends meet. In our world, the gap between rich and poor grows greater every day, but keeping Sabbath reminds us that our economic systems are not divinely ordained. We create capitalism or socialism, Harawas and Willimon remind us. God created and commanded Sabbath. At the heart of God's intentions, not only for all people, but for all creatures, at the heart of God's intentions is rest. Practicing Sabbath sets us free from anxious worry about keeping busy or getting things done or measuring up to the demanding expectations of employers and families and neighbors. It reminds us that there are more important things in life than what we can buy. You know, we can have all the money in the world. But if we have no time, we have nothing. And so my second observation was that God gives all of us the gift of freedom to rest. And my third observation is that God rested from all the work that he had done on creation. One of my favorite stories of scripture is that very first sacred story, the story of creation. And this third commandment is given context in God's own creative work at the beginning of time. The ultimate example given for the Sabbath is that even God rested from his work of creation on that one day out of seven. Of course, God didn't need rest in the way our physical bodies need rest. God's rest was to stop for a moment and God paused 
to consider and to enjoy what he had made and what he and he blessed it and judged it good. Built right into the core of our lives is this gracious gift, the rhythm of work and rest and reflection. To keep Sabbath is to be in step with the way God intended life to be lived from the beginning, to participate in the act of recreation or recreation in which we are put back in touch with the way in which God intends for life to be lived and enjoyed. Hauerwas writes again, Sabbath is not the joy of not doing work. Rather, Sabbath is the perfect work, the end of it all. The abundance of God's good creation makes Sabbath rest possible and proves God's loving and gracious care for us. This commandment for Israel was to rest and depend upon God and trust God to provide. While other nations work seven days a week, Israel was to work six and depend on God for the seventh. It seems to me that it takes people who are confident in God to enjoy Sabbath rest. Let me say that again. It seems to me that it takes people who are confident in God to enjoy Sabbath rest. Wow. That hurts. I work with the idea that it all depends on on me. That statement calls me to account because I'm not very good at keeping Sabbath. I'm not very good at enjoying Sabbath rest. I have too much to do in the time I have. This is a familiar refrain of mine, and I have heard many of you say it as well. A number of years ago, a study was cited in the Seattle Times, which concluded if you work seven 50-hour weeks in a row, you'll get no more done than if you worked seven 40-hour weeks in a row. So maybe we deceive ourselves when we think that all the time we spend working is actually accomplishing what we think it is. It does, however, give the impression to others that we are wholly committed and dedicated to our work, and that causes me, at least, to pause and check my motives. There are certainly times in our lives when we face crises that must be attended to or deadlines that are unavoidable which require our attention. But in truth, these are occasional. How do you, how do I create in my life the natural rhythm that includes work and rest and reflection? Here's something that I've been turning over in my mind as I think in terms of trusting God with my work, enough to stop one day a week and rest, to rest in such a way that I can notice and pay attention to God in my day. Would God give this commandment to his people as something impossible to accomplish? Would God call us to tasks so numerous and work so demanding that we are unable to regularly enjoy Sabbath rest? 
put that way, I'd have to respond and say, of course not. God does not call us to accomplish the impossible. God does not call us to task greater than the time we have been given. So I must conclude for myself that my inability to take Sabbath rest is because of the choices I have made, the appointments that I have scheduled, the priorities I have set, the impressions I want to make. Maybe, just maybe, entrusting God and entering into that life rhythm of work and Sabbath rest and reflection we will discover and understand more clearly what God truly desires of us to do in our work. We rarely make our best decisions when we are not rested, do we? It takes people confident in God to rest. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person who gratefully receives God's gift of enough time. Abundant time. I think something needs to be said about the practical experience of Sabbath keeping. After all, if we receive the gift of abundant time and we stop work to rest and reflect, what does that mean in the practical reality of 24 hours and family and children and worship responsibilities? Here's a good place to start. Rest on the Sabbath as if all your work were done. Rabbi Abraham Heschel said that many years ago, and that is as good a foundation on which to build Sabbath life as any. In all my use this work, this morning, of the word work, I have been defining it as something we have to do. We have to earn a living. We have to do laundry. We have to go grocery shopping. We have to meet our commitments. For some of us, we have to exercise. For others, we have to get the flower bed weeded. What do you have to do? Rabbi Heschel says, rest on the Sabbath as if your have-tos are done. What would you do if all your have-tos were done? When you answer that question, you're coming close to discovering for yourself what Sabbath rest looks like. A friend of mine loves to read, but rarely has uninterrupted time to read to her heart's content. After worship on Sunday and a light lunch, which doesn't require much cleanup, she gets her book, sits on her patio overlooking the woods, and reads until she's ready to stop. She does not schedule anything for Saturday, Sunday afternoon and evening. My friend is an introvert, and this for her is the best rest. One university student I knew when I was in seminary chose not to study on Sunday. I consider the Sabbath to be a guilt-free, no-homework day, she told me. Life with children is rarely work-free. But for a healthy Sabbath pattern, parents can choose to stop the chores associated with parenting, tidying, picking up, cooking, doing laundry, running errands, and spend time enjoying their children without worrying about getting things done. My sister-in-law, 
loves to organize gatherings of good friends for the sole purpose of playing. That's what she calls it, playing. To me, that would be work. Not the playing, the organizing and getting ready. But to Gwen, it's pure joy. To Gwen, this is Sabbath rest. For me, Sabbath rest would be a long, quiet walk in the woods. Oh, and I'd have to take off my Fitbit. My Fitbit is a demanding dictator, to be sure, and would change my Sabbath rest in a half-to quest for 25,000 steps. We're all different. For each of us, Sabbath-keeping is experienced differently. But we are called by God to keep Sabbath holy. And in our rest, whatever that may look like to us, we enter into God's presence and we will find our way. We will find the quiet that gives us wisdom. And we find the joy and the love that is born of effortless delight. In closing, let me read the word of God spoken by the prophet Isaiah, found in chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. Here's what God through the prophet said. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Sabbath rest. Amen.